Utah Public Radio would like to thank our partner, the USU Center for Women and Gender, for sponsoring the UPR original series, Utah Women 2020. Find out how you can become a sponsor by calling 435-797-3215. Happy 65th anniversary, UPR. Thanks for tuning in for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. The Block Film and Art Festival will be happening in Logan this weekend. We're previewing the festivities on the program today. Later in the program, we'll be talking with the art director for the Film and Art Festival, Brenda Hawley, talking about some of the art to be shown. Uh, We'll also be talking with Michael Bingham from Jump the Moon Art Studios. Michael Bingham is an art teacher who helps students with disabilities. Uh, Also be uh, talking with JoLynn Lyon who works with Center for Persons with Disabilities on the USU campus. She's also a UPR feature correspondent for our Diagnosed series. She's interviewed Uenta County and other rural area residents who are trying to manage their disabilities. We begin with the submissions manager for the Block Film and Art Festival, uh, Steve Smith, uh, who will be with us uh, for the hour. Steve, uh, welcome back to the program. It's good to be here. Uh, so, uh, Steve, I guess um, uh, I don't know when you start, but as submissions manager, your job is to watch a bunch of films. Yeah, the submission process starts fairly early in the year, probably March, April. People can start submitting through our website, sending in their films. And then summer is when it really kind of kicks in and we start watching them. I've watched about 75 submissions this year. And uh, you get kind of bleary-eyed after a while, <laughs> but um, yeah, we want, I mean, we, these people all have put a lot of passion into this, so we want to give them all a chance to for their film to be viewed, so we take all of them seriously. What's the criteria for this particular film festival? Well, we have uh, several different areas. We have a, a feature film section, a documentary feature. We have uh sections for documentary shorts and we have student films and feature or uh, uh, dramatic shorts uh, so we, we have a lot of different areas experimental films and then we just kind of watch what type of movies we're looking for and fill them into the the various areas and we've had a lot of local filmmakers mm-hmm. this year I was just gonna ask you about that I would I would expect you'd have a lot of local filmmakers what uh, what's what's your impression how are local film how's local filmmaking how's the health of it? You know, I think this year, above other years, uh, we've had quite a few from Logan, even a, a eighth grade student from uh, Mount Logan Middle School has submitted this year and is going to be screening. And the amount of filmmakers and also the quality has really gone up. That's getting a lot more professional with the type of cameras and the type of crews they're using. So mm-hmm. it's, it's actually, uh, every year it seems to be improving. So the technology is then available is improving then? Yeah, and it becomes a lot cheaper to make something that looks a lot yeah. nicer. So an eighth grader. That's that's amazing. Yeah, and, she is she's um made a movie called Golden Spike, a little documentary about obviously the Golden Spike monument, but uh she put a lot of time into it and, and so we're excited to show it. Hmm. I want to uh, talk about a uh, one of the, I'm sure, impactful films of the festival. It's called Bear River. It's about the Bear River Massacre. It used to be called the Bear River Battle, right? That's what the sign said. Now there's this big controversy, and, and now it's now it's called the, the according to the signage, uh, Bear River Massacre. Um, so uh, we're going to hear a clip here, about a three-minute clip, 
um, talking about the actual events of that day. There's there's a lot of context. I, I appreciated uh, learning some of the history and uh, why the conflict. It's an old story, of course, right? Uh, the Native Americans here and the white settlers come in and there's not room for the both of them. Exactly. And, you know, it's a story that is so close to us here that it's kind of unfortunate that it hasn't been told like it really should. It should have a lot better place in history. I mean, this is the biggest massacre of Indians west of the Mississippi in history, and we barely know about it. And uh, here in Cache Valley. Yeah, exactly. That's where this happened on the on the Idaho side here. Uh, so let's hear this. This is a clip from a film that's going to be shown at the Block Film and Art Festival, which happens this weekend in uh, Logan. Um, and this film is called Bear River. Complaints were made to Salt Lake, to Colonel Connor at Fort Douglas, to uh, maybe come take care of the Indian problem. And he had no problems doing that. I think what a lot of people don't know is Camp Douglas, they were sent to babysit the Mormons. Federal government was worried that the Mormons were going to succeed and run their own country from there. And so it was an easy decision for them to make. And uh, it was not his intention to, to ask any questions. In fact, before he left, he did an interview with the Salt Lake Tribune that said that nits make lice. And it was his intent to kill every Indian, men, women, and children so they wouldn't have a chance to grow to adulthood. And then on that January 29th, Connors descended on that sleeping Indian village. And there he expects to find, knows he'll find a, a, an encampment of 450, 500 uh, Shoshones camped in what we talk about today as Battle Creek or the Bear River bottoms just north of uh, Preston, Idaho. The snowdrifts were four feet deep in places, according to some accounts. There was a lot of ice in the river. Uh, the, the Shoshone position seems to have been the warmest and the most comfortable, and everybody agreed that they had a, a, a completely sheltered uh, village down there in that ravine. So he arrives early in the morning, deploys his troops on the bluffs above the bottoms, and uh, the, the Shoshones know he's coming, uh, but they expect there to, to be a kind of parley, a kind of talk uh, about what's going on. Uh, but instead, Connor essentially deploys his troops and they storm down the hillsides into the valley uh, and attack the village. The Indians had very little weapons. I mean, a few. Some of them had guns, but not a lot of bullets. I think the Indians had expended everything that they had to fight with probably in the first hour, easily within that time period. Indians were excellent shots. I mean, when you look at the surgeon's reports of the, the wounds, they're, they're, they're getting hit right through the heart and the lungs. And I mean, they're, they're, they're aiming carefully and hitting what they aim at. But after the first, you know, 30, 40 minutes of this conflict, uh, Patrick Connor moves troops around, begins to flank the, the encampment. Uh, and what starts as a battle, uh, really, with, with uh, forces on both sides taking and giving, becomes a wholesale massacre. Uh, the Shoshones escape as they can, but most stay and die on that battlefield. What made the village such a snug, warm, comfortable place also made it a death trap uh, once, they, once they were surrounded by the troops. 
So that is a clip from the film Bear River, which will be shown at the Block Film and Art Festival, which is happening this weekend in Logan. We have with us in this part of the program Steve Smith, who is the missions manager for the festival. Uh, so uh, I'm sure uh, Connor reports this back as a battle, and it's known for many years, at least in the white community, as a battle. Um, but but really what it turned into is a massacre, right? Yeah, there were uh, 246 uh, Native Americans, men, women, children, all beaten on that uh, uh, cold January 1863 morning, and it was it was just a way of, I think they finally decided they're ridding the valley as much as they can of, of the Native American population, and they wanted the land, and it just became a kind of a black mark on the history of Cache Valley, and it should be, it's a story that should be told. Mm. And it's directed by a filmmaker named Philip Schoen from Victor, Idaho. And he's now living in Los Angeles. And um, he's, he's actually he put a lot of time and effort into it. And it's interesting listening to that clip because there's still, to this day, a lot of pain from a lot of the Native American community concerning this. And um, now a lot of excava- excavation is going on in that area to kind of do a little bit more of a respectful uh, history telling of that area. This is quite near the highway, Highway 91, right? But as you said, um, little known. Um, the, the biggest massacre of us to the Mississippi in the whole history of, uh, of relations there. But uh, why do you think it was little known, I guess, and a need for a film like this? Yeah, I think, um, I just don't know if it was a, a story that since it was in a smaller community and maybe they felt like there wasn't as much at stake at the time as far as on a national level that people just didn't want to talk about it. And they kind of swept it under the rug. Now they are starting to do a little more. If you drive through now, they do have a memorial that tells the story. They've just barely put up a, a little about a mile and a half beyond or a half a mile or so beyond the site. There's an overlook that actually tells the story, points out where things happened. So there is an effort being made finally. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we go to break, um, later in the this hour, we'll talk about a couple of films that uh, that you found interesting called The Writer and Science, where we have clips from those. Uh, any other film besides those other films that you perhaps found uh, especially interesting? Well, you know, we do have a documentary one called uh, Journey of Hope, which we are uh, featuring and very excited for. Um, and it follows the uh, sound recording that is done on a pediatric cancer floor in Houston, and it kind of follows how the effects of music affects uh, people who are diagnosed with cancer, and and how it lifts their spirit, and being involved with stuff like that actually helps them. Mm. What's that called again? That's called Journey of um, Hope. Journey of Hope. Yeah. Uh, It's the sound of of a cancer floor, it is, um, and it's uh, it's in Houston, Texas. It's uh, it's just uh, all these children who have cancer there, and they've actually started to do a musical around it. They've had so much success that they're building a musical, and that's really be really interesting. Wow. Interesting. So we've got the film here at the Block Film and Art yes. Festival. Yeah. Well, we'll check back in with you, Steve, on some interesting films happening throughout this hour. Uh, but let's go to break next. When we come back, we'll be talking with Michael Bingham from Jump the Moon Art Studios. Michael Bingham is an art teacher. He helps students with disabilities. We'll be talking with JoLynn Lyon as well from Center for Persons with Disabilities at USU. Uh, she has been interviewing Uinta County and other rural area residents who are trying to manage their disabilities for our, our UPR uh, feature series, Diagnosed. 
and uh, both of them will be involved uh, in a uh, UPR presentation at the Block Film and Art Festival. Uh, that'll be happening Saturday afternoon at 4 o'clock at Great Harvest uh, Bread Company Building. Uh, just put in a plug for that. We'll uh, be talking with Michael Bingham, Lynn Lyon after this break. Did you know that children with autism can learn to communicate and play with other children when they receive early and intensive intervention? Research has shown that programs based on the principles of applied behavior analysis can help children with autism reach their potential. By identifying each child's specific strengths and weaknesses, professionals can create individualized programs that give the child the opportunity to practice appropriate behaviors and receive positive reinforcement. Through early intensive behavioral intervention, children with autism can learn the skills necessary for success in kindergarten and beyond. This segment of Did You Know That has been brought to you by our members and the Emma Eccles-Jones College of Education and Human Services, committed to mentoring tomorrow's educators, researchers, and clinicians, located on campuses in Logan and 26 other sites throughout Utah. This week on Undisciplined, we're talking about measuring wildlife, but we're going to be joined by two scientists who go about it at two very different scales. We'll ask Emily Sadler to explain her work measuring insect stingers, and then David Stoner will join us to talk about using satellites to count mountain lions and mule deer, the entomologist and the landscape ecologist. That's Undisciplined, Friday at 2. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're previewing the Block Film and Art Festival, which is happening this weekend in Logan, a Google Block Film and Art Festival. And uh, come up, I believe the actual website is uh, Logan Art, uh, loganfilmfestival.com. Uh, um, and uh, we're uh, transitioning now to uh, a talk with uh, JoLynn Lyon, uh, who's with Center for Persons with Disabilities on the USU campus and also has been involved with uh, UPR uh, as part of our Diagnosed uh, Features series, which yeah. we appreciate. Thank you. Yeah, it's been awesome. Um, h- how did you get connected with us then? Uh, I knew Carrie, and okay. also I am a very loyal listener. You okay, should know. Okay, <laughs> great. So you tra- made that transition, which more and more listeners are, which is great, from listener to uh, producer of uh, radio. So. That's excellent. So we'll be hearing your uh, uh, features on this diagnosed series as we go along. Uh, And you've been uh, talking, I understand, with Uinta County and other rural residents who are trying to manage their disabilities. Yes. Yeah. In fact, we went to the Uinta Basin. We went to um, people to talk to people from Tropic, Utah, and also Castledale. So we kind of bounced around. All right, yeah. yeah. So we want to talk about this as we go along in this segment. We bring in also Michael Bingham, who is uh, with Jump the Moon Art Studios. <clears throat> uh, you're an art teacher, right? Art, art artist. Art educator. Became an art, art educator. And yeah. uh, t- tell me about Jump the Moon Studios. Jump the Moon Art Studio uh, came from uh, my working with uh, students with disabilities in my art classes at both Mountain Crest and Ridgeline. And uh, being a little frustrated that I didn't have enough time or space to really uh, explore their, their potential. And uh, started dreaming about six or seven years ago about having a bigger studio where we could really play and explore and have fun. And that studio now has become, that dream 
has become a reality, and it's right on Main Street, and we have all sorts of fun, accessible equipment and and ideas to uh, help people unlock their potential. I want to talk about that. You have a grand opening, I think, coming up, don't you? Yeah, we do. We've been in that building for a year, but um, haven't felt like we were quite ready to announce to the world that we were there and ready to go. But this weekend, along kind of with the Block Film Festival, and there's a uh, also a gallery walk on Friday. There's a lot going on downtown, um, but we're also having our grand opening both Friday night and Saturday night between uh, five and nine o'clock on All both right. nights. All right, uh, give give us the address. The address is five fifty three North Main. It's kind of in between the Dollar Store and Glenn's Electric and Tooler Dance. We're kind of in between. It used to be that. Uh, Maybe you didn't notice that building. It was painted kind of a gray. It was the old Miller Glass building. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the last couple of days, that building has uh, magically turned purple mm-hmm. with a giant moon on it, mm-hmm. and it's hard to miss now. Yeah. Um, uh, I was going back watching your TED Talk. You participated in the TEDx USU uh, um, from 2015, and uh, you show some of your art there. I, I love the the cow with the rocket strapped. <laughs> the, strapped that's powder. actually where the studio gets its name. That, that's where it gets the name. Okay. And we're trying. I can't promise yet because I'm still uh, I'm working very hard. That sculpture um, I'm hoping will be there for the grand opening. All right. It's pretty spectacular. It's a, it's it's a cow kind of kind of shooting into into space with a rocket yeah, strapped it's a, to her. It's yeah. got a jet pack, and actually that's an interesting story that relates to the studio, and that's why I named the studio Jump the Moon Art Studio. Uh, when I was about five or six years old, I remember hearing the nursery rhyme where the cow jumped over the moon. Mm-hmm. I hardly remember the rest of that nursery rhyme because that part of it just grabbed my attention. We lived in pretty rural uh, Idaho. I was surrounded by cows. I knew that they could barely jump a ditch, and so uh, this idea that a, a cow could get over the moon really fascinated me. And I remember um, in my mind thinking, okay, I've got it figured out. The cow needs a jetpack. <laughs> and if the cow had a jetpack, then it could jump the moon. And the jetpack, as I got older, I realized is an assistive device. Yeah, It's, yeah. it's something that, that would enable the cow to do something that it would be impossible otherwise. And what we do is um, if somebody can't use their hands or has a real physical limitation, we make an an accessory, something to make it more accessible for them to make art. Mm -hmm. And once they have the right tools and the space, they can jump the moon. They can do the impossible. Yeah. You said in your TED Talk you, you dislike the word disability. Yeah, I really dislike the word disability because it's a negative. It, uh, it, it's, it's announcing to the world here, this person is not good at something. And don't we all have disabilities? Like there's a lot of people tell me every day, oh, I'm not an artist. I can't even draw a stick figure. Well, there, that would be, I guess, a disability, an art disability. Um, but I really like the word uh, diverse abilities. Uh, and I don't know if I made that up or, or if I had heard it somewhere, but um, but it's a positive. Whatever you can do is just, it's different, so it's diverse, mm. but it's an ability. And that's what we do. We find people's diverse abilities, what they can do well. Uh, some of our uh, artists have been 
driving power chairs since they were four years old and they may be 22, 23. Now they're pro at driving a power chair with a joystick. And let's take that and use that as the tool that they can now make artwork or artwork with. You show a video here in your in your TED talk about uh, is her name Kayla? I can't remember her name. Kaya. Kaya. Yeah. Kaya Eccles is awesome. She's um, she's one of the just most amazing people on the planet. And I got to work with her at the high school. We started out by I made a, a an attachment where she could draw with her power chair. Um, and then that quickly turned into she needed a chair for painting. I was going to turn her chair into a painting chair, but um, quickly realized those chairs are pretty expensive, and they also need that chair to go to to, to work or school or, or to church or wherever, and they, they didn't want paint splattered. The mom especially is concerned to get paint all over everything. So we made our own chairs. So when, they, when Kaya comes down, uh, we, she switches to a different chair that, that we don't mind if it gets painted all over it, and she can just uh, explore. She will be one of the artists uh, that we're presenting work from at the Block Film Festival. We'll okay. have a display there, and uh, Kaya, along with um, two other artists uh, that use our studio regularly, uh, Linda Loosely and uh, Nathan Miller, will have work displayed at the Block Film Festival on some portable gallery walls mm-hmm. that we've been making. And uh, Michael Bingham and Jolyn Lyon will be involved in a presentation with UPR uh, at the, the Block Film and Art Festival. That's at uh, Great Harvest uh, Bread Company building, and that is 4 p.m. on Saturday. So we invite people three. to come down. I think it's oh, at 3, 3 p.m. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. I've been giving the wrong time. 3 p.m. Thank you for that correction. So 3 p.m., come on down to Great Harvest and uh, and participate with uh, Michael and Jolyn and, and UPR there. We'd love to see you. Uh, so, Kaya, just to paint the picture, uh, the, the canvas is a large canvas as it's on the floor, right? The one she's working on right now mm-hmm. is about 12 foot by 9 foot. And, yeah, we just you just have to switch the way you think about creating art. And, and then her instrument is her chair. Her chair, it, and she, it's a chair that around has and, all yeah. kinds of different attachments, and, um, and she can uh, maneuver the paint around. Uh, if you go to our website right now, um, uh, jumpthemoon.org, the very opening screen is uh, in the background is Kaya painting with her chair, along with a lot of other artists making things. That website's coming together pretty quick. It's not quite done, but um, but you can see some pretty interesting things yeah. on there already. And if you if you, if you look at those videos, uh, Kaya's just joyful as she's doing this, right? Isn't she's that the best just, part? Just so happy. You know, a lot of this is a lot of work and effort, but uh, when you see Kaya laughing just out of pure joy from making art, it uh, it really gives you a boost, and you want to do more of that and, mm-hmm. and find more people that could use the facility. Yeah. I want to turn back to Jolyn Lyon. Um, so uh, you work at Center for Persons with Disabilities at, uh, at USU. Yes. Um, so some, some general issues, but then you've been talking to people in some rural areas. Are there? Yeah. Um, we really wanted to focus um, on the story of people that live in in the sticks, you know, that are far away. Disability, I, I know you don't like that that term. That's okay. <laughs> People calling. recognize it, though. They know what that is. People of, of differing abilities, um, it, it's an inconvenience, of course, no matter where you are. But in rural areas, sometimes getting those services can be more of a challenge. And so um, we wanted to go around and talk to people 
collect their stories. And I am just to this day, very humbled that people opened up and, and told their stories in the way that they did. It was, it was pretty amazing. What, what are the particular challenges that people in rural areas are, are facing? So we focused on a few, and I don't mean to say these are the only ones, mm-hmm. but um, getting a wheelchair, mm-hmm. just getting it can be such a challenge. And, and I don't mean to sugarcoat this. In the best of circumstances, it's going to take a couple months from when you identify that you need one to when you get it, which is a long time to wait if you're not getting around. Um, in rural areas, it can be so much longer uh, just because of the travel times that are involved and the uh, the professionals that need to sign off on it. And, and so just getting the chair is such a challenge. And then... Um, servicing the chair once you get it again because of all of that travel time and everything it can be a real issue for people and so I talked to Mindy and Vernal about her experience she's probably one of the more extreme ones but she went through a very long wait um, probably 10 months or more waiting for her chair um, I talked to Carolyn Mighton who has a lot of health care issues um, not her personally, but she has two children with some very severe disabilities. Um, in fact, when I came and talked to her, I, I said that in the present tense, but one of her children had just barely passed away, and I am just astounded that she still kept that interview. Um, because while we were there, people were coming to the door and leaving food for her and, and telling her how sor- sorry they were that this had happened. It was just... Again, a, a really intense time in her life, but she had these two children and um, still has Valerie, and she would need to go to Salt Lake to see specialists. So this was a three-hour trip going to Salt Lake and, with people who cannot sit for long periods of time, and so they would have to book a hotel and hope that they get back in the winter as they're going over mountain passes. and. So it, it's just a very different life from what most of us have. And um, she talked pretty openly about that, pretty frankly, about what it was like with all those health care issues. Um, we also talked to Peyton from Tropic and his family. He He's a great story, actually. He's working. Um, he has Down syndrome. He also has some anxiety issues. It is not easy for him to go to work, uh, yet he's still doing it. And he's doing it because of the support of his family, of his friends, um, his brothers, his roommates. They've all kind of pitched in to make this happen. And so that was a really fun, beautiful story. Um, We also talked to Mike and Mary in Castledale. He had a stroke. um, And so identifying the stroke, getting getting help for the stroke and then finding help to recover. Um, the good news is that it happened. They, It happened because Mary, his wife, is a fighter. She doesn't take no for an answer. Um, and she had to bring out those qualities many, many times to make sure that Mike got what he needed. Um, but interesting story. And again, things like a stroke in a rural area, it is more complicated because there's so much uh, care that happens after the event. Mm. 
And I believe some of these or all of these will be included in our Diagnose yes. series. Yes, they will. And uh, you can hear those right here on UPR. It's a year-long, year-long series. Uh, we thank you so much for participating thank you. with that. Um, turn back to Michael Bingham here. Um, uh, there are obstacles, right? There, it's, it's, I think sometimes we don't recognize the severity of the obstacles sometimes for people with, with disabilities. Um, what, right. does, what does what does art um, art is, a, is an amazing tool because, um, for example, a lot of people have difficulty or an uh, inability to communicate very well. Um, if you can only move your eyes or, you know, it's, communication becomes a really uh, an issue. But if you can give that person a way to make art, um, art is very expressive. It can express emotions. It can express ideas. It's a universal language. You don't even have to speak the same language, and, and uh, a lot of times art can communicate. The, the key is, though, um, no matter how severe the disability is, uh, spending a little some time and effort and some kind of unusual approaches, like the unexpected thing sometimes brings out an ability that, that nobody knew was there. And so finding that kind of unlocking the, the ability um, or finding that treasure uh, sometimes takes a little bit of, uh, well, often takes a lot of time and effort. But uh, the Jump the Moon studio is the place that we want to devote the time and effort. And uh, no uh, so-called disability is too severe. We want, us, we want everybody, um, and we love a challenge. So uh, if nobody's ever figured out a way for this person to, uh, to, to add their value, I think every person has something of value to add to society, every person. And we want to find out what that is. There's a moment in your TED talk where you turn to the audience and you, and you say, "Well, when it comes to art, you might be disabled, right?" Exactly. And, and then the camera pans the audience, and some people are nodding that, "Hey, I, you know, as you said earlier, I can't draw a stick figure, um, but but there shouldn't be any limits, right?" Right. And if you think that you are not an artist or have no art ability, come down because in 15 minutes I could have you. Uh, drawing like an impressionist uh, drawing or doing something that you had no idea you'd be able to do. And um, there's some fun exercises that will get you there. So uh, the studio is for all creative people, all artists, all art educators, um, everybody. We want the whole community involved. It's just that we are especially set up to be helpful to those with uh challenges and um, so that they can make and sell their work. There's a vocational mm. aspect to this too. We have and, a and sell their work. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we also have a gallery where their work will be displayed uh, once it's worthy of going on the wall and being sold. And uh, so you can s- help support us in that way too, by coming down and buying the artwork that is created by uh, these really amazing individuals that are using the studio. Mm. That's Jump the Moon uh, Art Studios, and that's on Main Street in, uh, in Logan. Tell us again the grand opening. 
553 North Main, and grand opening is this Friday and Saturday night from 5 o'clock till 9 o'clock. All right. Uh, and then uh, Michael Bingham and Jolene Lyon will be involved with our UPR portion of the Block Film and Art Festival, and that'll be happening 3 p.m. Thanks for the correction, Jolene. 3 p.m. on Saturday at the Great Harvest uh, Bread uh, Company building. So come on down. Yeah, come to that. And also let me add, at our building, Main Street parking is difficult. We have plenty of parking in the rear, back okay. behind us. Great. I should mention uh, that we invite you to come uh, look for the Nora Eccles Harrison Museum of Art art van, uh, art truck, and that'll be parked outside the Utah Theater on, on Center Street in, in Logan. And from noon to 2, uh, we'll be down there collecting interviews, oral histories. Uh, so come on down there. And uh, I know people associated with Michael and Jolene will be coming down as well. Okay. Uh, all of that happening at the... Uh, Block uh, Film and Art Festival, and we're previewing the festival on the program uh, today. Before we go to break, I want to turn back to Steve uh, Smith, who is uh, submissions manager for the uh, the festival, uh, or uh, as one person described you, chief film watcher. I guess that's what some 75 films is what you've been watching in a kind of a compressed uh, uh, period of time. Yeah, I feel like I'm cut off from the world for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> Just alone watching those. Of course, you're, you're a film buff, so it's probably not not too onerous a uh, duty. Um, I wonder if you'd tell us about, uh, there's a film, we have a clip for, from this. Tell us about, set this up, The Writer. You know, The Writer is, is one of the most interesting stories leading up to a film. Um, it's directed by a filmmaker named Chloe Zao, and she is from, was born in Beijing, China. And she grew up being interested in Western culture, just everything like that. She was able to make it so she could go to high school in Los Angeles. She then went on to uh, film school in New York. But she had this interesting interest in Western culture. So she wanted to make her very first film, and she made a, so- a movie called Songs My Brothers Taught Me, uh, which premiered at Sundance. And she went to South Dakota. It was among the Native Americans there. There she met a young cowboy who had just been thrown off a horse, had a big gash in his head, was recovering, and she became very interested in his story. And so she used that meeting of that young man to come up with this story about the writer, about a young cowboy who, what happens to you once you can't write anymore if you are a, a rodeo writer. And the guy, the guy she met is a kid named... Um, Brady Jandro, he was an actual, he's actually the kid who she met, and he stars in the movie. It's unique because the film has only real rodeo writers in it. There's no professional actors. They're the actual people who lived the story. And for a a young filmmaker, Chinese filmmaker, coming all the way from there to be interested in making such a great and beautiful kind of Western movie, it's really astounding. And this film went on to Cannes Film Festival, Sundance Film Festival. It was nominated for Best Picture at the Independent Spirit Awards. So it's really, we're really lucky to be able to have this movie. Sounds fascinating. Let's hear the, the trailer to this. This is a film called The Rider. No more riding, no more rodeos. If you don't stop, your seizures are gonna get worse. 
I had to sell Gus, Brady. You can't sell Gus. It's not like you can ride anymore. You seen Lane? Remember when he went three for three in McCool Junction and won it? Yeah, that was a good night for Lane. Sometimes dreams aren't meant to be. Who's this? That's Apollo. Wow, that's amazing. A horse that never had nobody on his back before. Where are you going with that? I'm going to the rodeo. You don't need to go ride today. I'm entered and I'm riding. Go kill yourself then. I believe God gives each of us a purpose. For the horse, it's to run across the prairie. For a cowboy, it's to ride. That's uh, the trailer to the film, The Rider, uh, and that'll be showing at the Block Film and Art Festival happening uh, this weekend in Logan. And one interesting thing about the filmmaker there, she's actually, to show how well she's been received, she's just been hired by Marvel Studios to do a superhero type of movie for them to direct that. So coming from wow. such a that's quite the jump. small yeah. independent film to a big budget like that. Yeah. It'll be interesting. Yeah. So you'll be able to hear uh, to see the film The Writer here at the Block Film and Art Festival. Let's take another break. Uh, when we come back, we'll be talking with Brenda Holly, who is, uh, what, what is your title? Yeah. I am the art curator for the Block Film Art festival. curator for the, mm-hmm. for the festival. We'll uh, hear about some of the great art that's uh, the part of the festival. And we'll uh, hear uh, more about more films with Steve Smith, who's the uh, submissions manager uh, for films for the festival. More following this break. On the next Living on Earth, evolution isn't just from one generation to the next. Our individuality is a compoundment of other creatures, DNA, that has come to us by horizontal gene transfer, come into us sideways, come into us by infection. I'm Bobby Bascom, and that's next time on Living on Earth from PRI. Coming up this morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Hi, I'm Steve Williams, host of Jazz Time here on Utah Public Radio. I hope you'll join me Sunday evenings for a journey through the world of jazz music. From ragtime to bop, from Havana to Logan, Utah. Tune in for a bit of history, commentary, the occasional interview, and of course, all that jazz. Jazz time, Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We're previewing the Block Film and Art Festival, which is happening this weekend in Logan. And uh, we're talking uh, with Steve Smith, the submissions manager for films for the festival. And uh, now we bring in Brenda Holly, who is the art curator for the festival. Uh, by the way, let me just note that uh, the website is loganfilmfest.com, loganfilmfest.com. You can find out more information uh, there. And just another plug for our UPR event at the festival, uh, 3 p.m. on Saturday. We'll be uh, involving Michael Bingham and JoLynn Lyon uh, with a presentation there at Great Harvest Bread Company Building, 3 p.m. on Saturday. Preceding that, noon to 2 in the Nora Eccles Harrison Museum of Art uh, Art Van. Uh, inside that van, we'll be conducting interviews, oral histories, and the van will be parked on Center Street outside of the Utah Theater. So come on down and uh, record uh, record with us. Uh, so Brenda Holly, art curator, I guess... Similar to Steve, you've been really immersed in art, uh, choosing the art for the festival. 
What's that process like? Um, well, generally, uh, we will approach community members, um, either that I know through the Arts College. I'm also a student up here at USU. Um, or they will approach us, either with their passion projects, uh, with all kinds of things. Really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, of course, artists are always interested in getting their art shown, right? And yeah. This is a great opportunity. Absolutely. Uh, what are some of the things that have stood out to you? I imagine there's some memorable things that you especially would recommend people see. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We've got a, a great show to put on this weekend. Um, one in particular, I have a few. Um, we have Impact, which is an exhibition of students from USU uh, featuring artwork on conservation, sustainability, and climate action, uh, really focusing on bringing the climate conversation down into the community. Uh, that's not the only sustainability-focused exhibit we have going on. Um, Tom Wilson of Cafe Ibis will be uh, exhibiting a sandcastle made completely out of express, uh, espresso grounds. Wow, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, taking a look at reusing and repurposing our leftovers, whether they're food or not. Hmm. That's interesting, repurposing our leftovers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ma- ma- making a virtue of uh, maybe a, some waste. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, something that wouldn't be considered that otherwise. Uh, we also have a lot of high school students involved this year. We have Fast Forward partnering with CAPSA. Um, they've come together to create a very impressive 3D installation showcasing the unique characteristics that make the students themselves who they are. Mm. Uh, we have a clean air contest, the Art from the Clean Air Contest, which was put on by USU professors Rosalind McCann and Edwin Stafford, uh, promoting clean air and environmental protection uh, on a teenage level. Uh, t- so these are teenagers who are making these posters, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, promoting clean air? Yeah. Okay. Um, those sounds like some very interesting exhibits. I wonder, so you're an art student. Correct. Um, how does that affect, does it affect your art in any way to doing, uh, looking out, to doing a survey of the community in this way, being involved in the festival? Yeah, absolutely it does. I mean, we're all, we're all products of our environments and, um, being able to see what other young and old artists are up to and what's important to them. Uh, certainly informs my work and uh, <laughs> what uh, what is your work what do you what media do you work in yeah so I'm currently a graphic design student okay. but I'm also doing undergraduate research on people and their relationships to their environment interesting mm-hmm. yeah. very community focused community focused what what have you come up with so far yeah um, so I I have found and I think this applies to the block festival especially um, that art uh, at its core is a tool for observing and understanding our world and ourselves uh, regardless of the medium we all stand to learn or gain something from it um, and that was part of the reason that I got involved in the block festival in the first place Um I believe that art serves its best purpose when it is uh, there for all members of the community. Mm. Yeah, accessible, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, let me turn back to uh, Steve Smith. I want to uh, hear a uh, the trailer from Science Fair. Tell me about this film. This one we're really excited about. Um, I first saw this uh, at its premiere at Sundance. I was in the first screening and it's had anywhere in the world. Filmmakers were very nervous, and it got such a great response. It ended up winning the very first uh, favorite film award. They've never given that out at Sundance until this year, but it's voted on by everyone who saw the, the movies at the festival, and that one won 
the favorite for above everybody. So it since has gone on to it's being picked up by National Geographic. Just bought it. They are now just opening it in theaters. It just opened this last week in New York and Los Angeles. So we were very fortunate that they're letting us screen it. Uh, we're one of the only places in the world getting to see it right now. But it's a documentary that follows a group of high school students from around the world who are competing in the science fair, local levels, and then on to the international science fair. There's uh, you know a Muslim girl from South Dakota who doesn't fit in. There's a, a lady who doesn't speak English, a young girl who doesn't speak English from Brazil coming. And it just doesn't matter the background. There's a, a kid who's failing out of school, basically, because he's not keeping up on stuff, but he's a, a brilliant mind in the science. They're all converging, and it's just a fun... Uh, look at at what our future could be like. These are brilliant kids, and, and if these are what our next generation is like, we may actually have some kind of hope for our future. And it's, uh, it's a clean PG-rated documentary. And one of the great things is we screened it for members of the school boards here at uh, Cache County and Logan City. They were extremely excited. They're encouraging their students to come to it and to bring their families. It's going to be just a great experience. We're going to have some actual science fair students speaking after in the Q and A. Well, let's hear the uh, this the trailer to a film called Science Fair, which will be shown at the Block Film and Art Festival this weekend in Logan. The winner in the category of medicine and health sciences. Making it to ISA, that's like the big thing kind of have that status of being in like the group. I would say that a lot of people are jealous of me. On deadlines, I'm awful. I wait until the deadline to start working. I listen to trap music and classical music. Pass it up. Blast it up full volume. I actually don't listen to classical music that much. I just listen to mostly trap. But you're not going to cure cancer, you're going to prevent cancer. Yes! If you're there just to win the prize, you're missing the point of science fair. You enter into this new kind of world I didn't even know kind of existed. It's one of the best weeks of my life, like every time I go there. I'm going to be so proud when one of my kids win a Nobel Prize, because they will. Finalists from 78 countries, regions, and territories around the world. And think of it as the Olympics of science fair. Winning will change your life in ways that you don't even comprehend. Welcome to Los Angeles! Today's like the judging day, so we're going to get judged for what, like six hours today? I don't know. <laughs> so it's going to get judged for like six hours. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's fun. Uh, so that's a trailer to Science Fair, one of the films being shown at the Block Film and Art Festival uh, in uh, Logan. Uh, so we just have about 30 seconds left. Uh, Steve Smith, any other uh, film you just want to quickly mention? Well, on top of Science Fair and the writer, which will be fantastic, I just want people to come in and, and kind of get a chance to see the short films. There's a whole bunch of them that are lumped together. There's some incredible talent there. There's a group of local ones who have made various documentaries and some local shorts. Um, they're fantastic. They're, it's a really good year. We've got some good professional ones, and I, I hope everybody comes down and sees it.
All right. Brenda Holly, is there anything else you'd like to plug? I guess just generally you can see the art all throughout the venues. Yeah, yeah. Festival. We'll have the art up um, Friday and all day Saturday. We've got a video dome by Mark Coven. We've got the NEMA art truck and Michael Bingham, as you, as you said earlier. And I just invite everybody to come, uh, come together and explore what kinds of things art has to offer. All right, a lot of a lot of great happening Friday and Saturday in Logan, downtown Logan, and it's the Block Film and Art Festival. LoganFilmFest.com is the website. Final plug for our UPR event at the festival, that's at the Great Harvest at Bread Company Building, 3 p.m. on Saturday. Michael Bingham and Jillian Lyon will be there along with a bunch of UPR folks. Come on down, support that, and uh, of course the festival happening Friday and Saturday. Thanks to both of you. Thanks yeah, thank thank you for coming much. in. And thanks for listening to Access Utah. Next up is Bread and Butter, a culinary chronicle with Jen Ashton. In northern Utah, we're accustomed to a shorter growing season than warmer climates to the south. According to the National Gardening Association, Utah averages 170 days between the last frost and the first frost each year. St. George is estimated at 207 days, while Logan clocks in at 164. What could I expect, then, from a farm-to-table banquet featuring only produce and food products from vendors with the Cache Valley Gardener's Market. Would it truly be a banquet with a variety of tempting flavors, or would diners spend the night noshing on apples and cheese? I arrived with my two teenage children and their friend, ready to work. We had noticed an opportunity to help with the meal on Just Serve, a website that connects volunteers with community needs. Almost before we could set down our bags, we were setting out fresh salsa and chips on 25 tables spread across the floor of the Cache County Event Center. Then we joined other volunteers in the back kitchen, dishing desserts for holding in the refrigerator. Four-tier raspberry and carrot cake, both with cream cheese frosting. Squash pie, a pastry layered with cream and slivered almonds, as well as bowls and bowls of raspberry and vanilla ice cream, locally made. The ice cream would later be topped with warm grilled peaches and a buttery oatmeal crumble. Having worked in catering when I was in college, bustling among trays of decadent desserts didn't faze me. My kids, however, were already looking at me with wide, eager eyes. Soon, guests started pouring in. They were greeted by Gardner's Market representatives and guided to tables of appetizers along the south wall. Cups of apple cider, as well as trays of watermelon, cantaloupe, grapes, and golden plums. Then slices of farmstead cheese and creamy trout with locally baked whole grain bread. With calm music from a sitar-like instrument setting the mood, guests settled into their seats, buzzing with anticipatory conversation. Back in the kitchen, we were tasked with refilling the raspberry lemonade and keeping an eye on the banquet table to alert catering staff when entrees in the chafing dishes depleted. Stepping out of the kitchen, we finally gained a full view of what a Cache Valley banquet looks like. On the starting end, a massive salad of red and green leaf lettuce with cucumbers, carrots, and jewel-like cherry tomatoes, followed by an impossibly tall and full cut-glass bowl showing off marinated beets, onions, carrots, and herbs. A salad so vibrant, I almost expected it to cast diamonds of rich red and purple light like a disco ball. A mustardy potato salad came next, 
followed by steaming corn on the cob and a savory casserole of spaghetti and summer squash along with eggplant. Sourdough bread and vases of basil pesto prepped guests for entrees of hand-shaped meatballs, beef roast, and slow-cooked roasted pig. So tender the meat fell off the bones with ease. Pans full of quartered and steamed potatoes accompanied the meats, along with an herbed gravy for a finishing touch. Oh, and don't forget, shortbread biscuits edged their way onto hefty plates carried by guests at the end of the banquet table. My kids now looked at me with hungry, inquisitive eyes. With a spread like that, who wouldn't? To their credit, they stayed on task, filling and refilling punch bowls and shuttling trays of bread. They even stayed lively as we cleared tables following the meal, scraping the few leftovers at a cleaning station behind the building. Finally, as the local band took over with electric guitars and rolling rock music, we volunteers sat to sample Cache Valley's finest. I heard a contented sigh from my teenagers, followed by satisfied vocal mumblings. The experience proved fulfilling, though not just in flavors and variety. We gained delicious insight into what an active community of gardeners, farmers, and local producers bring to the table, even a notoriously cold Cache Valley with its limited growing season. If a banquet is a sumptuous feast, what we experienced was truly a farm-to-table banquet. This is Jen Ashton for Bread and Butter. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Music Theater West's Oklahoma, the spirited rivalry between farmers and cowboys and the love story between Curly, a handsome cowboy, and Laurie, a beautiful farm girl, September 21st through the 29th at the Ellen Eccles Theater. Ticket information available at musictheaterwest.org. And Science Unwrapped in USU's College of Science. This Friday at 7 in the Eccles Science Learning Center, Powers of 10, with USU mathematician Louis Gordillo. Information at usu.edu slash unwrapped. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, and also heard at upr.org.